Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our study into the book of Isaiah by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here is this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be turning to Isaiah 53. We'll be in that passage today. But we'll also be looking at John chapter 3 to start with, so you can turn there as well. Now, we're in Isaiah 53, and we've been focusing on the gospel according to Isaiah 53. Why? So that we could be able to take the Old Testament scripture and to preach the gospel just as we would the New Testament scripture and preach the gospel. We've been going verse by verse through Isaiah 53, but, but today we, we come to a point, and it's something very important that there is a key element in any presentation of the gospel, all right? There is a key element in any presentation of the gospel. And, and here's, here's that element. The question is, what do you do with it? Whenever the gospel is presented, whether in the New Testament or the Old Testament, here's the question, what do you do with it? What are you going to do with it? Now that you've heard this story about a redeemer who died on the cross to pay the price for your sin, to take your place so that you might be forgiven and all the good things and wonderful things he's done for that for you, what do you do with it? Well, first of all, it's not enough just to know that it's a fact of history. I mean, if you're sitting here and say, well, I, I know that about Jesus. He was a historical figure, and I know that that happened. I understand he died and he resurrected. I know those historical I'm glad you know the historical facts, but that's not enough. <laughs> that is not enough. All right, you understand? It, sa- it says that e- the devil even knows that. The demons of hell know that, and they tremble because of the greatness of God, but, but they're not redeemed. So it's not, it's not enough just to know the historical facts. It's not enough to appreciate and sympathize with what Jesus did. Some people say, man, I tell you what, I I really appreciate that he did that. I'm glad that he did. My heart goes out to the fact that he died on the cross for other people. That's wonderful that you sympathize, but that is not enough. It's not enough to know the facts. It's not enough to have that sense of feeling, but rather there is an action that has to be taken if the gospel is going to be good news to you, right? There's something that has to take place. If that gospel, which means good news, is good news to you. It's not just good news, but it's good news to you. Something has to happen. It is that key element in the presentation of the gospel. So what is that? Well, what it is is the necessity of believing. The necessity of believing. It says that we have to believe the gospel. We have to believe the good news. Now, I want to show you here in, in, the, in the New Testament how that is a necessity. John 3. John 3, where Nicodemus came and he asked Jesus about how to have eternal life and how to be saved. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Then verses 15 and 16, he, Jesus tells very distinctly what that thing is you have to do, and that is to believe. Listen to what he says in verses 15 and 16. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. That whoever believes may in him, talking about the Son of God, 
may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, here it is again, believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What did Jesus say is that ingredient? What did he say is that part that you have to have for the gospel to be the gospel to you? You have to believe. You have to believe in your heart. Well, that's not enough. Turn over to chapter 11 of of John, And this is where he's dealing with Mary and Martha at the death of Lazarus. And he's talking to them about who he is. And he tells them these important words in verses 25 and 26. Listen to what he said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who, here it is, believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So what did he say to her? What did he say to Mary and Martha? He said, you have to believe. You have to believe. You have to believe. Well, if you happen to use the Roman road, many of you might have got saved by the Roman road. What that is, that's all these verses in the book of Romans that has to do with how to be saved. Well, if you use the Roman road, then you would come to Romans 10.10. Romans 10.10 is a very key verse in the Roman road when it says this. For with the heart man believes, resulting in what? In righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. What did the Roman road tell us? That if you're going to have the gospel be the gospel for you, then you're going to have to believe in your heart. And when you believe in your heart, the righteousness of God comes into your life. The righteousness of God overtakes you in your life because you believed. And as you believe in your heart now, you're going to confess that with your mouth. And that is how you are saved. That is how the good news of the gospel is good news to you. You must believe. You have to believe. So, Every presentation of the gospel, anywhere the gospel would be presented, it is the fact that there is this matter that you must believe. That you must believe in your heart. Not just in your mind, but in your heart. And that belief is a life-changing, radical belief that makes all the difference in the world. It is far more than just believing in your mind. It's far more than believing in your mind. It's something far deeper. It means to to believe in such a way that you place your whole life in their hands. You you place your whole life before them and that you're going to commit your life to live the rest of your life being changed by him. A better word than the word believe would be a word for us, the word commitment. To believe in Christ is to commit your life to Christ. To make a commitment of your life. And that commitment brings about radical change. When you have commitments in your life and you really take those commitments serious, it brings about great change. Amen? One of the best pictures of commitment that you'll ever find is the idea of getting married. Getting married, right? That is a commitment. 
How many of you guys, how many of you guys, listen, don't, don't let your wives see you. Look at me. Don't, your wives, don't look at them. But how many of you, when you came to that wedding day, and it was time that you knew in a few minutes you were going to say, I do, and that you would, and that you're going to take her on in your life, and your life's going to be radically, differently changed. How many of you got cold feet? How many of you were nervous within your own heart and with your own life? How many of you thought, what in the world am I doing? Because that is a big change. Oh, just a couple of weeks ago. It's a little couple right here. I, I watched them. I watched them. I watched them make this commitment. And I heard them. And do you know what? When that preacher said, will you? They said, I do. One of them said it louder than the other one. I don't understand. I, I do. And whenever that happened, their life was radically changed. Now, there's a big difference between commitment and just knowing something or feeling something. I'm not going to interview you all right now, but I want you to just answer from where you are, okay? Let me ask you what. Before you all stood up there and made that commitment, did you all know each other? That's encouraging. That's right. Thank God. They're not planned marriages. Y'all actually knew each other. Let me ask you another question. Okay. Listen now. Before y'all stood up there and made those commitments, did you love each other? Hey, that's good. Isn't it? That's good. They, they, They loved each other. But do you know what? They knew each other, and they loved each other, but their lives were not changed until they made a commitment to each other. You know, Maddie's name was always the same, even though she fell in love with him, and same, and even though she knew him, same, but not not whenever she stood for that preacher. And she said, I do, and he said, I do. Her name was changed, and her life was changed, and it was a radical difference because they made a commitment to each other, not just knowing each other, not just loving each other. They actually made a commitment to each other, which changed their life. That's what commitment, that's what believing does. That's what it means to come to Jesus. It's it's not enough to, to... to know Jesus or know about him. It's not enough to even love Jesus, and that's great that you do. But you're going to have to come to a place to where you stand before Jesus, and Jesus has already said to you, I do. Hasn't he already said, I do? He certainly has. When he hung on the cross, he said to you, I do. I accept you for who you are. I forgive you for what you've done. I want you to be mine. I have done it all. He said, I do. He's waiting to find out if you say, I do. But before you say, I do, you better realize that when you say, I do, that's a commitment, and it's a radical change. A radical change. That's what it means by believe. That's what the gospel says that we have to do in order to be saved. So hold on a second. If Isaiah 53, turn back there, if Isaiah 53 then is really a gospel presentation, then it is going to have to have that key ingredient of believing. Isn't that true? 
Yes, Brother Mac, that's true. Thank you. I heard that. That's true. So let's see what it says. Isaiah 53, verse 11. We talked about the first two lines last week, but I'll read them. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. All right? Now pick up right here. Listen. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Look at it again. Don't miss it. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Now, let me help you with that. When you first read that, it's kind of a little confusing because it it looks like it's talking about his knowledge, that what he knows, based on what he knows, that the righteous one will make the many right. Okay, but, but that's not the best translation. Matter of fact, if you have an NIV translation, NIV does probably the best job of translating that of any of the translations. King James says it like the New American Standard says it. But the better translation is this, by the knowledge of him. In other words, it's not talking about what he knows. It's talking about what we know. Look at it again. But by the knowledge of him, by the knowledge of him, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Make it personal. By the knowledge of him, the righteous one, my servant, will justify you. Will justify you. By by the knowledge of him. Well, in in the Hebrew language, that that word knowledge or the word know is very much like what the Greek word believe would be. For see, the word know is not mental assent. It's not mental acceptance of that. It's not emotional tie to that. But the word know is a relational word. It's a relational word. It means to enter into a deep and abiding relationship. Matter of fact, it actually means to enter into what we just talked about a minute ago, the dearest and most precious relationship we have between men and women, and that is marriage. And that is to know was the commitment that they made to one another. Go in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. When you get home and look at verse 1, it tells you that at that time, Adam came and had relations with Eve. But that's not the word. Your translation may say relations, but if you look at King James Version, or you look at Hebrew language, it says, and Adam knew Eve. He knew to know was to mean to have that relationship. To know means that deep commitment of life. It it means to say, yes, I want you to be mine and to have a life radically changed. To know. To know. That's what it means. So come back here. It says this. It says, by us knowing him, by us having the opportunity to know him, by us choosing to know him and enter into this commitment level and this relationship of deep sincerity before Almighty God to the point that I'm willing for it to change my life totally and absolutely by that knowledge, by that knowing, by that relationship 
my righteous one, the servant, it says, will justify the many. You want to know how to be justified? It is that you know the righteous one. That you know the servant described in Isaiah 53 that we've talked about over and over again. Who is that? That's Jesus. You can't miss it. That's Jesus. So if you're going to be made righteous and you're going to be forgiven and you're going to stand justified before Almighty God, you're going to have to enter into a relationship with this servant who is Jesus. And if you come to Jesus, as Jesus himself said, you must believe in me if you are going to be saved, if you're going to have eternal life. That's what Isaiah was said in Isaiah 53, verse 11, to know him, to know him, and therefore to be justified. Someone has said that many people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. By 18 inches. How do you miss heaven by 18 inches? It's the distance between your head and your heart. It's not enough just to know Jesus in your head. You have to receive him in your heart. (laughs) And you have to realize that he stands there saying before you, I do and I have done everything for you, but will you have me? Will you come to me? So in Isaiah 53, verse 11, we see that Isaiah 53 does not miss that ingredient. It's not a matter of just telling you what the righteous one, what the servant is going to do, and all the death he's going to pay for, and what all he's going to have, and the rewards he'll receive, and what he's going to give to you. It says, but you must know him. You must know him. So the question, my friend, is, is, do you know him? Not with your head, but with your heart. Have you made that deep-seated, radically changing commitment in your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? You must. If the gospel is going to be the good news to you. Well, let's just see one other thing, the picture that he paints here about this righteous one. He paints a picture, a beautiful picture of a courtroom. I don't know about you. I've been in courtrooms. I'm not too crazy about courtrooms. But this particular courtroom, I love it. (laughs) I love it because I'm in this courtroom, and you're in this courtroom, and there's others who are in that courtroom that I need. So here's the the picture of the courtroom. Listen to what he says here. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with a great, and we will divide the booty. he will divide the booty with the strong. We'll talk about that next week. But pick up here. Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. All right. Here's the picture of the courtroom. All right. There at the front of the courtroom is the judge. Right? He's the judge. He's in charge. The judge is the only one who can justify. That means to make just, to make righteous, to pronounce as righteous, pronounce as being good or acceptable. Only the judge can do that. 
Only the judge can do that. So in this courtroom, there is a judge. Now, if you look in the face of that judge, do you know who's sitting up there? Do you know whose face that is? That's the face of Jesus. That's the face of Jesus. Now, sometimes people think, well, it's the face of God the Father. No, no, no. If you remember what God God the Father said, he said, I'm going to turn all judgment over to To the Son. So here's Jesus who's going to be the judge and he's going to be the one who has the right to justify and to say as just any that he would choose to. Amen? There's somebody else in that courtroom. Every one of us. You. And me. We're going to be on trial. We're, we're going to be in that place. And we're going to be there sitting in that courtroom before the judge, Jesus. And we know, we know in our heart that we're guilty. We, we know we're guilty of a lot of things. We know, we know when it describes the fact that there are transgressors. I'm a transgressor. We, we, we realize when it says that there are those who had sin. I have sinned. You know that? Are you that self-aware that you know you've sinned, that you've transgressed? I know, I'm, I know that I have iniquity in my heart. That's who I am. That's what the Word of God says of me. And I'm sitting right there before a holy judge. Before a holy judge. Okay? But there's a, there's a third person there. The third person there is over sitting across from me. And that person who's there is known as the substitute. This substitute. Do you know, do you know who this substitute is? This substitute is the one who is going to bear the brunt of the pain. Either I'm going to suffer it because I deserve it, or if there would be somebody else who would be the substitute to take my pain, to take my punishment, to pay that price, then I might be made just. And if you look at this substitute is sitting here in this courtroom, and you look at his face, it's the face of Jesus. Wait a minute. Hold on. Don't let me lose you. You say, wait a minute. You already said Jesus was the judge. He is. <laughs> He's up there. He's judge. Look at his face. It's the face of Jesus. But then if you look over there closely at the face of that substitute who is going to submissively submit himself to whatever must be done to justify me, it's that same face. It's the face of Jesus. How could that be? The eternal mystery. How could that be? For he is God. He is God. And he is all things. Of what I need. Wait a minute. There's somebody else in that courtroom. You know who it is? The attorney. The lawyer. The attorney. The one who is the advocate. The one who is my defender. The one who is going to present my case. Before the judge. We all need that advocate. We all need that attorney. We don't know what we're doing in that court. We need somebody to help us. You know what? When you look in the face of that eternity, do you know who that is? That's Jesus. Now you're really confused, aren't you? I can see in your face. Wait a minute, how could that be? 
Jesus is judge. Jesus is substitute. Jesus is the advocate. He's the attorney. Jesus is everywhere. Now you begin to get it. Amen. Now you're beginning to get it. Jesus is everywhere and he's everything that you and I need him to be that we might be justified. Go back to Isaiah 53. Listen to what it says. It says, my servant will justify the many. That means King Jesus, Judge Jesus. He's not only King of kings and Lord of lords, he's judge of judges. Amen? The Judge Jesus is going, is going to justify the many. He's going to justify me. He's going to pronounce me as righteous. He's going to pronounce me as just. He's going to pronounce me as innocent. He is going to do that for me. Now, how does he do that for me? Go over verse 12. Because he poured out himself to death. Who's he talking about? He's talking about that substitute. As judge, he's going to make me just because he, as substitute, poured out himself to death. He was willing to be numbered with the transgressors. It means to relate to the transgressors, to be considered a transgressor, to bear the brunt of all those who are transgressors. He is numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many. Wow. The reason that the judge can pronounce me just is because Jesus, as substitute, has taken away everything that I deserve. It's been placed upon him. He's paid the price, and because he's paid the price, now judge, Jesus says, you are justified. And, And just in case throughout all eternity, not only on the cross, but throughout all eternity, just in case that that ruling is always abided by and always understood, there's the attorney Jesus, the advocate Jesus. Oh, you know, it tells us about this advocate. I think it'd be helpful you to see that. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, listen to what he said. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you might not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteousness, or the righteousness of God. And he himself is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Do you hear what that said? That just described everything we just talked about in that courtroom. It it, it talked about the fact that it'd be good if we didn't sin at all, but when we do sin, we have an attorney, an advocate, who takes us before the Father. It's Jesus, the righteous one, who also was the substitute, the propitiation for our sin, but not only ours, but for the whole world. It talks about that Jesus is our advocate. Oh, that, whenever you look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, listen to these great words. It says, Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, it says he's always on call. He's always at the courthouse. He's always the advocate. So that wherever, whenever you give your heart to God and you give your heart to Christ, you always have somebody who stands before the judge of judges, and that is the one who's the advocate Jesus, and he says, it's been paid. 
Yes, they have sinned, but it has been paid. The substitute is sufficient. It has been paid. They can be just, and they can be righteous, and they can receive the reward. And not only did Jesus be the mediator at the cross, as Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that there's one God and one mediator between us and God. That's the man Christ Jesus. Answering the question Job had in Job chapter 9, how can I, as a sinful man, be in right with a holy God, for is there is no mediator or umpire who can hold God's hand and hold my hand? That's what Job asked. Well, when Jesus showed up, he was the God-man, and he could hold God's hand, and he could hold man's hand, and be the mediator, and be the advocate. That's what he did on the cross. But that's not all. Hold on a second. That's not all. Ever since the cross, he's been your advocate. He's been your attorney. He's been the one who stands before the Father. He's been the one who stands before all eternity. He's the one who defeats the accuser. He's the one who stands in righteousness and makes your stead where you are on solid ground for all throughout all eternity. He ever makes intercession for you. I need intercession by Jesus every day, but he is there faithfully to do that. A courtroom, the judge who makes me just, me, the one in need, the one who substitute and takes my place, and Jesus is advocate and intercessor for me that I am continuously and always acceptable because the price is paid in full. I will tell you something, friend. Listen to me. I do not know if one day you will stand in that courtroom, but I will tell you you will stand before a throne, and you will stand before a judge. I don't know what the picture is going to be, but I can tell you one thing you're going to need. You're going to need a substitute for yourself, and you're going to need an advocate and an intercessor on your behalf, and those are only fulfilled by one named Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus... You don't have a hope. If you don't know Jesus, you will bear the brunt of your sin, which is suffering and death. Not because you had to, but because you chose to. Because you rejected all that Jesus has done for you. And you can't paint a more beautiful picture than Isaiah paints right there. That you must know him. You must have a relationship with him. The one who's judge, substitute, and advocate on your behalf. You must know him. Do you? I pray you do. I pray the Holy Spirit of God grip your heart and you would come to know Jesus today. It's the most important thing in life. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com.
www.mayglovesmedia.com. May God bless you until we meet again.